What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain one of my favorite things about doing these podcast reads is when people hit me up and they're like, hey man, I got that thing you were talking about. Thank you. And that's been happening all the time with the Truff hot sauce. Well, the reason, because Truff is fucking good. It's just really fucking good. It's a selective blend of premium red chili peppers. It's got real black truffle, organic agave nectar from Jalisco, Mexico, and Italian black truffle oil. They're basically sourcing ingredients from the best parts of the world. Uh, truffle is one of the rarest foods and if you haven't acquired a taste for it well this hot sauce will certainly help you acquire the taste for it it's also got a hint of organic cumin and the flavor profile really just is something like you can't describe unless you try it so please try it and again like i use it on all the things that i've talked about from deviled eggs to avocado toast to tacos to literally if you think there's anything that i like putting my mouth and my tongue on i will put truff on that thing get your mind out of the gutter there is genuinely a reason why truff is the number one hot sauce on amazon and it's because it's that good plus you got that whole pimp your fridge effect because the packaging is so dope so anyways head to truffhotsauce.com that's t-r-u-f-f hotsauce.com slash aubrey and then use the code word aubrey to receive 15 percent off your truff it's like the best deal out there so please do that and that really helps support the podcast so try the hot sauce if you're interested and want to support the show thank you so much there might be an assumption that my brain is just firing at 100 percent all the time but everybody in this room right now listening to this and everybody else who actually knows me realizes that that's not the case. There are certain times where I'm operating at 100% of my capability or maybe even stretching that boundary to even more than what I'm usually capable. And there's certain times when I'm not. And alpha brain is actually one of the factors that contributes to those two different conditions. Like sometimes it takes me forever to get through a podcast read or forever to do anything where I have to recall thoughts and ideas and speak fluently. And sometimes it all just flows. And alpha brain is the common denominator. It's our flagship nootropic. It's the thing that we developed because myself and Joe Rogan, we wanted something that we could take that was naturally derived that would actually make a difference. Right now, we got something cool going on with our Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes. Why? Because we like Willy Wonka. 
We like going into the chocolate factory and getting all the cool shit. Alpha Brain's like one of those cool things. It's like one of the magical things that is coming from Willy Wonka's factory. So we wanted to put a golden ticket in the Alpha Brain boxes. And when you get that golden ticket, you are going to win a prize. One of thousands of different prizes. Everybody is a winner. You just have to go in, check out what your code says, and you'll win. And there's some grand prizes like coming out to the Ana HQ hanging with me, cruising around the facility, checking out the digs. That's one of the prizes. There's all kinds of cool stuff that you can win. So I really encourage you guys, whether you've tried Alpha Brain and you just want to re-up and be a part of the sweepstakes, or whether this is your first time trying it, go to onit.com slash Aubrey and check out the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes. Again, that's onit.com slash Aubrey. Ryan Holiday is kind of ridiculous. He's like one of the most prolific thinkers and writers of our time. He's written books like Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, Perennial Seller, The Daily Stoic. He's got like 12 books already written. And it's just because of the way this man thinks about things. I mean, he studied and worked with Robert Greene, who's one of my favorite authors. And he's come into his own as one of the great thought leaders and authors that weaves in a bunch of the coolest stories from figures that we may know about and that we may not know about. So doing a podcast with Ryan is always one of my favorite things. He's got a new book, which might be, in my opinion, his most important book. It's called Stillness is the Key, and we dive into all things being still. But we're not very still when we do it. So enjoy the show. Ryan Holiday, my man. Yeah. I don't know how many times this is, but thank you. I don't know. It's a few, but you keep writing books. So <laughs> we're going to keep talking about the shit that you're writing about. That's I, for sure. Well, I, I've written them so regularly. I feel like it's like the main way that I see my friends now. It's like <laughs> being interviewed on their podcast about books. Well, because every other time you're just writing your books. That's true. Right. So what are you, you going to do? Right. It, yes. It's got to be one or the other. Exactly. I mean, you're on pace for like 40 books yeah maybe more more than that (laughs) i'm actually it's actually something i've had to think about and i had to think about with this book specifically which is like how do i slow down a little bit how do i take my time even though even if you don't need it how do you take your time to do it and then just like space stuff out because yeah like i don't think it's possible to write 40 books and not like go insane (laughs) you know and so at i'm 32 and i think this is i'm in the middle of number 10 I think. Yep. And so that's just like, that's crazy. I mean, you could theoretically write until you're like 80. So, sure. I mean, that's way more than 40 books. So, uh, is there a record? Could you, could you set a book writing record here in the modern era? Well, so that's the thing. It's like, how many, how many people have written 40 good books or even like 11 good books? That's Do you know true. what I mean? So, so I think it's it, in a way, it's easy. It, in some ways, it's easier to do stuff than it is to not do stuff that's kind of like the point of this whole book stillness is the key right like totally it's way easier to distract ourselves or keep ourselves busy than to actually stay still except but when you're writing great books it's got to be hard to fucking stop because this is actually a great book (laughs) actually (laughs) (laughs) it actually it is actually a great book objectively so i mean i hope so i hope so but no i have a problem with that like i have a problem it's easy in a way like uh self-discipline is easier for me than like forcing myself like okay so i have an apple watch and you know uh it like it records like streaks or like i have a goal you know has a goal mm-hmm. or whatever but this is like la- this is 
Last year, year before, while I was writing the book, but uh, I got I got on a streak where I did I beat my exercise goal for like twenty no thirty six consecutive days. So thirty six days of working out with no rest, uh, because <laughs> you know it was like seven days, and then it was like you're on a ten day streak, you're on uh-huh. a two week streak, and so I kept like not wanting to stop, even yeah. though it's totally meaningless. Yeah, kept not wanting to stop. And so finally, like on the 37th day, I was like, this is insane. I have to stop. <laughs> and I stopped. And uh, it was hard. It was harder to not work out than work out. And then like on the 38th day, I, st- I wasn't feeling that good. 39th day, I wasn't feeling that good. I had to go out of town. I came back. So 45 days, let's say, I, fi- I ended up going to the doctor. I have mono. And basically, I just wore, oh, wow. I, it was just so obvious that I wore my immune system down. Then I travel. And so it was like, not only did I not get an award for working out for 36 days, other than like, you know, the little squiggly thing it gives you on the phone, but then it took like two months to recover. Like it yeah. was the worst. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up missing tons. Like, so it was just a reminder to me. And so it's something I think about with the books is like, you, you can feel like, like your job is to like put in the work every day, but sometimes the, the, the work is not doing the work. Well, the challenge too, especially for people who are used to doing is that our own love for ourself and our own worthiness of our love is attached to our doing. Yes. So like if sure. we're doing, I mean, we learn that from the world. It's conditioned to us. We're baptized mm-hmm. in that idea and that conditioning that we are loved based on what we do. Right. Our coaches love us based on what we do. Our teachers love us based on what we do. Parents, for the most part, as good-natured and as unconditionally loving as they try to be, they still express love to us based on what we do if we're doing good or if we're being a good kid or if we're you know my dad of course it was all about basketball and grades and you know yeah my mom did a pretty good job loving me no matter what which i was very lucky in sure but like nonetheless we get so used to that that we internalize that thing so it becomes really hard to be still because we don't love our still self yes and we become a di- and then if you're if you're doing 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 and you're talented or you're in a space where you can get rewards for that stuff then it becomes like a feedback loop because right. you know you not, you not only don't love your still self but the world doesn't love your still self <laughs> right. because you're not accomplishing anything right. you know you're not publishing or you're not creating new products or you're not making lots of money or you're not posting on social media or whatever and so you become addicted to the what's on the other side of the doing which and is it, the rule and it can be in any different aspect i remember i used to go on more often than i do now i would go on these like longer spiritual retreats which there was no weightlifting involved so yeah. i would come back down 10 15 pounds from that yeah. you know and i'd be wide-eyed and you know illuminated from all of the the lessons that i've learned but people would just look at me like what happened bro you lost a lot of weight yeah. like come on man like, <laughs> i was doing other stuff like, yeah sure give me a break but you know even that little thing was like gotta get in the weight room now you know like i yeah. i didn't want to receive that criticism of even something as inconsequential as my physical muscle mass appearance which has virtually no value in the, right, in sure. the world that i'm living in right except for some random extreme circumstance where i have to run with luggage through the airport or something like that and that's yeah. when i feel like yes all my working out has come to a practical purpose right you know but it's uh it is it is an interesting it's an interesting time that we're in that we have really learned i think universally to love ourselves based on action rather than being and then you ask people, why are you doing all this stuff? Like, what what does success look like for you on the other side? And it's always some 
idea of stillness, right? Like people's dream is to live on the beach or, you know, to like not have to work for someone. Like the the other, the, the, we tell ourselves we're doing all this stuff because we're going to get something that's going to be peace or quiet or happiness. And not only is that, that a, a mirage, you never get there. You could, the irony is you could also just have it right now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. you could just not, you don't act, the things you think you need to be happy or to be at peace or to feel good about yourself you are you mostly already possess i mean obviously if you're literally starving or you're living under a bridge somewhere we're not talking about that but like once the sort of you can have it now or it's much more it's much cheaper and much more affordable than you think it is and yet we actively push that away so we can go do these things and then on the other side someday we'll have it and that's the irony of <laughs> or all right let's take this hypothesis where we want we want all people of the world to find that peace and equanimity okay and we want them to have access to that thing so we're gonna work our whole life right like dogs to get yeah, there sure. like how are we supposed to encourage other people to live a life of peace and equanimity and happiness and love and spiritual fit and you know mental physical stillness if we've never done it ourselves you know yeah, what i mean totally. so like we can convince ourselves that yes we're doing this for everybody else we want them to find peace and stillness and equanimity and right but the best way to do that is to show them an example that we can do it too yeah and look i bet if you polled sort of most like self-help guru types they're probably it's like their finances are actually a mess they, <laughs> they eat terribly they don't take care of themselves and they're unhappy because for them, the the doing, that's where they, you know, it's like the cheering crowds or it's the book sales or it's the having of an audience or whatever it is. That's the, that's where, so there's an, there's an ego in that. And there's a, you know, you, we just, we're like sharks. We think we, we have to move to live, but you really yeah. don't. The interesting thing about this book is it actually like touches on your other, you know, some of your other most famous books, The Obstacle is the Way ego is the enemy like all of these different all of these different things this book actually touches on it touches on a state that is like kind of necessary you know the ego stirs up the mind sure. and creates a lack of stillness yes you know and then like in, in all of these different ways and then using resistance as assistance like using the obstacle to be the way actually creates equanimity of the mind both in how you look at things and how you like handle things it allows you to have like a framework of peace so it really ties in interestingly it's at kind of the core of all of the different tenets i think so i think what's interesting about this idea of stillness is that it's basically at the core of all of the philosophical schools like christianity is a way to get stillness uh stoicism is a way to get stillness buddhism is a way to get stu uh, stillness all the ancient traditions, it, it's like there's no wise man, and unfortunately they're almost all men, but there's there's no wise man in any of the ancient traditions that's like frantically running around, right. worried and stressed and busy all the time, you know, like obsessed with making money, uh, you know, like that. Those those are the cautionary tales that the wise men are talking are are positioning themselves against always. I think the problem is, especially with the Eastern religions, is like you, you can hear like, you know, you hear stories about Buddha or you, you hear about these sort of spiritual people who go to an ashram in India or whatever. And you're like, 
that seems great, but like I live in the real world. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I have a job, I have kids. And so what I tried to do is talk about stillness in the much more practical sense, like in the sense of like an athlete needs stillness as they are, you know, standing on the free throw line or, you know, uh, facing two strikes in the World Series. Like, uh, or, or, or how does a hedge fund manager bring stillness into their life as they are dealing with a sort of a market that's seesawing in both directions? You know, yeah. how, does a, how does a parent have stillness in their life when they're trying to raise, you know, two hyper kids or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think we can, we can think that some of these sort of stillness stuff that the, the wise people of the ancient traditions talk about is like totally impractical, unrealistic, not for me, I'm a normal person. And the truth is, I think the really impressive sort of hit figures from history were actively using these principles in their very busy actual lives. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you touch on this is a book about stillness that is not a book about meditation. Right, like yeah, deliberately. I don't mention there, the word meditation. At I all. didn't see that at yeah. all once. Yeah. And like, I don't think anybody's ever endeavored to write a book on stillness without it being partially like a segue into a meditative practice that yeah. they're trying to, you know, show people. And that's what was it was really interesting to show how like universally it applies, even from presence for an athlete or flow state. You know, yeah. you talk about that the batter who was in the slump. His name's Green. Uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sean Green. Sean Green, and like how he emptied his mind to set you know or at least tie one of those records yeah. where he went six for six hit four home runs one of 14 people to ever do that in a game right yeah and like that process of like emptying the mind like finding that still place of present moment like that's in the chaos of a crowded stadium and all of this thing it's like yeah he's doing it with forty thousand people watching <laughs> right at least yeah in that's person. in person in person, <laughs> in person yelling things at him you know <laughs> no you fucking bum <laughs> why'd we pay you so much <laughs> give your money back you know he hears that in the background no that's totally right and i think i think the problem is i i think meditation is presented to people as this like magical cure-all that um First off, it's really only the Eastern traditions that talk about meditation. So the idea that that's the only way to get to stillness is just obviously not true because clearly, you know, lots of different uh, religions and schools talk about getting there and they, meditation is just one way of getting there. Um, and the truth is most people, like everyone at this point has heard about meditation and heard that it works, myself included, yet most of us, just don't do it. I don't. Mm. I I know that it works. <laughs> I know there's an app on my phone that could walk me through it, and I'm still not going to fucking do it. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. like, what I what I was thinking about is like, okay, let's take people where they are instead of just trying to force them to do this thing. Like, look, everybody knows that to to get in better shape, you have to do like three things, but we don't do it. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the things in your book. You're like, okay, well, let's break it down and let's focus on some things that maybe you actually will do. And then once we have a little momentum, then we can go back to this other stuff. So I was sort of thinking about it that way. And then I was also thinking like, is meditation really the best place for a lot of people to start? You know what I mean? Like, maybe you should just clean your fucking house. You know, yeah. like maybe you're maybe yeah, like minimalism is one of the chapters in this book. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you just need to clean your house or maybe you should just go for a walk, you know, mm -hmm. or 
or maybe you need to find a hobby that like like if if your life is complete chaos and you're deeply unhappy you have sort of spiritual emptiness is just sitting down and being uh, alone with your thoughts like the best place to start or maybe that's actually the worst place to start because you have so little to build on you know yeah. and so I, I i thought well why don't we tackle a lot of the other things pertaining to stillness first and then hopefully at the end of this if you want to continue going down that road you can or or like look the stoics the stoics sort of preferred journaling to uh meditation and they're essentially opposites of each other right like meditation you're supposed to have no thoughts journaling you're supposed to be like what are my thoughts and i'm going to write them down but i think they get you to a similar place the interesting part is like there is a similarity that you mentioned in that when you're journaling and i think it was in the chapter about Anne Frank, she's talking about being the observer of her thoughts. Like yes. when you're journaling, you're observing your thoughts. You are the writer of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So it puts you in the same place that in meditation you're supposed to be, which is the observer of your thoughts. Yes. Like nobody expects you not to have thoughts. The brain produces thoughts like the heart produces beats, yeah. right? Like we understand that. And so a meditator, a meditation coach or somebody who's guiding you through that will say, just allow your thoughts to kind of flow through and be the observer of your thoughts. Right. And that's eventually you want to get to a place where the thoughts slow down maybe this if you imagine it like the current of the river it becomes like a still pond right but that takes a long time of these thoughts flowing through your head until you reach that state but it's the same thing with journaling where you just start writing and observing the thoughts that are coming and then eventually you get all of your thoughts out and then there's like a sense of peace that comes at the end of that Totally. And it's, I think it's practice realizing that you and your thoughts are not the same thing. Yeah. Where like when you journal, you're like, I think a horrible thing. Yeah. But I'm also thinking that that thing is horrible. <laughs> so clearly that's just a thought that I'm having. Do you know what I mean? You're like, I'm so angry. I hate this person. I want them to die. And then you're like, I just wrote that. Do I really think that? Is that who I want to be? You know, like I think what, what this sort of, this solitude and silence and reflective time is supposed to help us do whether we're doing it in the eastern way or the western way is supposed to give us the ability to sort of question and analyze and step back from our own thoughts mm -hmm. because way too many people are just jerked around by what's going on up here and they take for granted that if they're thinking it it must be true it must be important it must be representative of who they are as a person and I think what you're trying to do is train this muscle that goes that can that can just, as you said, just sort of let these things like breeze by. Yeah. Like I wrote it down and now it's gone. Yeah. I've found it really helpful to remind myself that, you know, not only do we think in thoughts, we think in stories. Like sure. we're, we're constantly like constructing stories yep. that fuel our emotions, which fuel our kind of restlessness and our anxiousness and all of these things. We like weave these things. And most of the time we're just conjuring stories out of very limited information you know and like a few ideas and a little bit of emotion and we package it together into a story about what someone did and why they did it and why it's fucked up and why like and then we get ourselves all riled up and we're completely out of peace from totally. that situation when we're not just passively observing like okay this is what i'm feeling these are what the facts are there's a variety of stories that could be true let's take a look at this like a little bit more passively yeah, so we either go, we either look backwards and we tell ourselves stories about things that happened or, you know, sort of just happened, or we go, 
I can't believe they did this to me. I can't allow myself to be a person that lets people do this to me. Mm-hmm. If I don't stop this right now, I'm gonna get kicked around for the rest of my, so we tell ourselves, we extrapolate a story forward, mm-hmm. uh, with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what what all, what all that is doing, and I think this is very much the antithesis of, of stillness, is it prevents us from being present right now. Do you know what I mean? Where instead of going like, okay, this person cut me off in traffic, that's an objective fact. We go, this person cut me off on traffic, I'm not gonna allow that to happen because if I allow it to happen here, you know, like, or we go like, I can't believe this person lied to me. Are they a liar? Can I have a liar in my life? I need to confront them about this. When really like so much of what we get worked up about is like an isolated incident, a singular piece of data in a much larger tapestry. And because we can't just see it for what it is, which is not to say that it's nothing, it's just not nearly as important as we want. Mm -hmm. We end up getting way more worked up about it than we actually need to be. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's it. The the story then drives it drives so much, and and especially when it's wrapped with your identity, which is you're basically another way to say your ego, right? Yeah, so sure. You, so your ego and the stories. I found it like when you're if you're dealing with somebody who is clearly like you know restless with their thoughts or angry or upset. There's a series of questions that are like I found really interesting okay. to ask, right? So let's say you're in a relationship and you guys are having an argument or you sense some tension or some yeah. anger. You know, you say, ask someone, call me, like, well, what is what is the story that you believe to be true? Or what is the story that, you know, you have going through your head right now? And framing it that way, you know, that might piss them off, maybe. Yeah, sure. But <laughs> usually if they're like open to it, they'll be yeah. like, all right, well this is what i this is my story this is what i believe that you were thinking and blah 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 and this is what i what's going on say okay and then is that do you think that's a true story and just with peace with your own kind of peace like ask what is your story and is it a true story and you can do that with yourself you can do that with anybody else but like always behind a lot of these things that disturb us is a story and then there's an awareness that can come and, and you talk about that kind of spiritual knowing, yeah. this kind of like deeper sense, this awareness where if you ask, is this a true story? And then you're like, huh, well, maybe kind of true a little bit. Well, not really that true, <laughs> you know, maybe not. What I love about ancient philosophy is like, it takes something like that and you go like, that's that's so brilliant, you're totally right. And then, so you'll, you'll just be picking up some book written by a, you know, a Greek slave 2000 years ago and he'll somehow have like that exact formulation. You're like, what? And you realize like people are just people and we've always been people and we've mm. always, not only have we always struggled with things the same way, but then we've come up with solutions the same way. Like Epictetus, who's this Greek slave, uh, becomes a philosopher and he becomes one of the great sort of uh, students of Stoicism. He ends up teaching emperors and generals and all these people. He He talks about how um, when you have an impression, so something happens and then you have an opinion, you know, you go like, uh, this is bad or, you know, this is uh, horrible news or, you know, uh, someone was rude to me. Like, you know, stuff happens and then we have an impression about it, right? And he says, you have to like take your impression and hold it up and put it to the test, right? Um, he even taught, the analogy he even uses is like um, uh, um, a money changer, 
uh, back then you had to like actually test whether the the metal coin you've uh, been given is actually pure or whether it's been sort of adulterated with other other metals. And so he's like, no, you have these impressions and it feels true, but just because you think that it's bad or unfair or scary or uh, the worst news ever or a massive betrayal or or you even think it can be good ones too. You can think, this is amazing. I've just been given this massive stroke of good luck. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. This is the greatest achievement of my life. We have these impressions and actually we have to stop and go as you're saying, is this a true story or not? Yeah. Or is this just what my emotions or my ego or my fear is wanting me to think about that situation and it may not actually stand up to the test. So as you know, we've been talking about stillness on this podcast. And you know what's not still and not chill? Going to the fucking grocery store? It's neither of those things. It's a hassle. You got to deal with a bunch of different people. You got to deal with a bunch of stuff. You got to look for stuff all over the place and you don't know where it is. And then you got to ask somebody. It's kind of hard to be really still at the grocery store. But now we live in a time where we don't always need to go to the grocery store, especially if we want really high quality, healthful foods. And that's why Thrive Market really developed. They wanted to be able to bring this stuff to your door and not just like the regular stuff that you can get on every marketplace website. This is the stuff that's like been curated. This is the stuff that's been vetted to be the best available for you. And that's why I like Thrive. You can put yourself on a subscription. You can do all of the different things that you can do on the other marketplace sites, but you know you're getting the best foods possible. And that's a great reason to shop at Thrive Market. But another great reason is wine. Like you can get wine delivered to your house that's been hand-selected by their sommelier. Have really good wine that's really good for you delivered to your door. Well, Thrive Market is a solution for that. And now for AMP listeners, we get 25% off your first order. So if you want to be balling out and get like some cases of wine, like this is the time to do it because you can get that 25% off the first order. And then a free 30-day trial for the whole program. So it's a great deal, especially if you want to stock up on the wine because that's such a good move. Like especially if you get one of those like little wine things, you know, so then you can display all the wines. It just looks like, wow, that's so luxurious. He has more wines than we can even drink in a single night. You know, that's like... I've never really understood why people fill up like half a tank of gas. Like, come on, you're going to have to go and get more gas later. It's like this very short-term financing. But if you got a bunch of wine, then you don't need to keep shopping for the wine, especially if you know you like it. And that's the move. It's a strong move, everybody. So take advantage of that 25% off and the free 30-day trial. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Aubrey. That's thrivemarket.com slash Aubrey. And every time you do that, it really supports the show. So thank you so much for always checking out the sponsors. I wouldn't be talking about them if I didn't really love them and dig them myself. And that's where looking at some of the natural inherent biases that humans have, like confirmation bias. Yeah. If you want something to be a certain way, you will make it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for a certain degree. If you want that person you meet to be your knight in shining armor, like, and you really want that, you'll see the things that show you, like, he's the one for sure, everybody. Yeah. He's the one. Like, ignoring all the red flags and all the signs because you're trying to confirm this desire that you really want. 
and this this re- deep need to have this happen in your life or this deep belief that you have that you're trying to defend and that's again another thing that you talk about like one of the things that's an antagonist to stillness is these lusts lusts to be right or to get something in your life or to have it and then you're gonna fit everything to kind of fit that but you have to be like all right mind like i get what you're doing here well one of one of the i think the great examples of a bias uh i I forget who i picked this up from but he was talking about there's this bias called the general attribution fallacy and that's where you take a specific attribute of a person and then you extrapolate out who they are as a person uh (laughs) from this this is like uh it's, this is we do this to strangers all the time, and uh, so Tiger Woods was a great example for people because we saw Tiger Woods on the golf course so composed and in control of himself. It was unfathomable to us that he would be, you know, like banging hookers in his personal life. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like we did, we could not conceive that he was a complicated, flawed, uh, wounded person. And and yeah, he was the he was the epitome of what happens when you give yourself over to these sort of drives and lusts. He was he was obsessed with winning, but he was also and he got this from his father. The idea of there ever being enough was like uh, in, it was not only inconceivable to him; it was a sign of weakness yeah. to be able to be like I have enough. And so you can see how that would make you great on the golf course but it's just a complete monster in your personal life. Right. And, and ultimately, it's impossible to have to, to silo those things. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like if you feel it specifically, you'll feel it universally. So yeah. if there was never enough victories, if yeah. there was never enough success on the, on the course, there was never enough women, and there was never enough success in the bedroom, right? Yeah. Like it just makes sense that what you learn specifically, you typically apply universally. Totally. And and if you feel like whatever it takes to get what you want, which is winning, is justified, then right. in your personal life, why would you have a problem lying to your wife? Why would you have a problem manipulating people or bullying people or covering things up? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if when, when you when you start to go like uh, what getting what I want is the most important thing in the world, like you're only a short couple steps from like complete depravity because you know what i mean because you can't because you the mind is very good at telling us that the ends justify the means the fucked up thing here though is like if you have this level of stillness and awareness you might not ever become tiger woods or you might not ever become elon musk you might not ever become so there's like there's a it's an interesting thing because so many of the we know a ton of successful people yeah and there's a inherent and myself included i'm not exempt from this i have a restlessness and a little bit of a madness inside me to do because i believe that doing is what makes me worthy of love and what makes is what i'm here for all these different stories that i tell myself but the madness is like part and parcel with the actual success so it's almost like you have to just kind of guide people a little bit and be like all right i get like make some allowances for your madness if you want these extreme results but find the way, like, no, have like a little awareness to know that eventually you got to let the madness go. Yeah, no, I have so I have so many thoughts on that because it's it's super complicated, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it feels, and I think this is where the Eastern schools do a bad job because they kind of go like, you should quit everything, walk away, and, just, and, and it's like, that's just not what people are going to do. Yep. You know, that doesn't work. 
the world we've built does not allow for that to really happen, at least at scale. But then also when you look at it, like I, I didn't know that much about Buddha, but as I was reading about him, did you know that Buddha had a son? What? Yeah, Buddha had a son. He had no. a son and a wife. And he gets sort of called to enlightenment and he just wakes up one day and he leaves. Eventually his son comes back and studies under him, but he walks out on his family. Uh, and so you're like, wow. uh, I don't know if I like that so much. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Sure. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's... Uh, Imagine the pressure, son of Buddha. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, a hard and, shoes and to fill. Buddha's the son of a, of a prince, of a king, you know? And yeah. so Buddha has his own pressures there. But it, it is interesting that we have, most people do not get to extreme success without some irrationality or harm being done and so it is it is a tension but then you look at someone like tiger woods and you go tiger woods might be great for the game of golf elon musk might be great for humanity is it fun to be them mm. do you know what i mean so it, it it's just because just because some athletes insatiable drive for winning is what allows them to win say seven championships instead of one championship does this uh does this actually mean that uh it was worth it i think elon musk even said on joe rogan's podcast like i don't think you, you most people would want to be me or he said something yeah. like along those lines and you and, could even argue maybe he doesn't want to be him that's why he's <laughs> self-destructive at times like yeah. like maybe the madness is is also sort of a subconscious rebellion against you know, maybe I could just burn all this down, and start over. Yeah, I think there's. Right. A, I think there's certainly, certainly that has to be part of Tiger Woods' story. Like you read about what he's doing, and you're like, you wanted to get caught just in the way that every addict sure. almost wants to hit bottom and either die or get help. Yeah, because they want the release of this constant burning of yes. like not only both ends of the candle, but the middle of the candle as well. Like. It's just consuming when you're driven by this yeah. insatiable, not enough, insatiable need for more. Yeah, and so I, I don't know. I think, I think accomplishment, it, it's, it's like drive is good, insatiableness is not. Mm. And so, like, how, how that's something I just think about in my own life. Like, what is there? Is there some like sort of middle class version of success? You know, like, is that <laughs> is, is is that the idea that like if you become the the best and the only you will be happy we demonstrably untrue mm. do you know what i mean oftentimes the sort of penultimate champions are the most miserable least happy people like uh, the richest man in the world is not is almost never the happiest man in the world right um but does that mean there aren't Tom Hanks seems to be doing pretty good. Do you sure. know what I mean? There's a lot of people. There's other examples of that, yeah. for sure. And especially if I look out at the spiritual landscape, which is something that I look at really closely, I can't find personally a, a more deeply embodied enlightened master than Ramdas. Yes. So, and but Ramdas, if you look at his, you know, he wrote obviously a, a book that did very good, very well. Be here now, mm -hmm. you know. He wrote Polishing the Mirror. He's got a couple books. He's got a couple things, but he's not like he didn't like splash across the world. He's with not the, Tony Robbins. He's not Tony Lama. Robbins, yeah. right? You know, but he's if you follow his work and you listen to his words, even now with his aphasia and his stroke, and you hear him talk, it's like 
wow like yeah he really he really found like the deepest peace the deepest stillness you know and like the deepest joy right and it but it didn't come with this blazing comet where it roasted him the whole way from the inside yes and and it's kind of interesting to take a look at that on the spiritual side is like well maybe that's a little bit more of the model it's like yeah it's just kind of emanating from him in in a way that people resonate with and will probably continue to resonate with for a long time and it may be like it, it could have been that there was a conscious choice that he made at some point where it was like he writes be here now and then he for his next book he could do x <laughs> you know he could choose path a or path b path a take makes him 10 times more famous you know path b maintains the level that he's at and maybe he consciously chose path b in, in which case it'd be very, super admirable because mm -hmm. it's very hard to do you know it's like uh the the, the player who ret uh, uh peyton manning retiring at the end of the super bowl that must have been extraordinarily difficult to do or john elway or, yeah yeah so so there's that path or it may have been that just you know you know like uh, the flapping of a butterfly's wings like one tiny change totally outside of his control you know like a, the new york times was gonna write a trend story but then the the reporter got sick and so it didn't happen or you know like uh oprah was gonna make it a, her book club book and then she didn't or you know so, some, yeah. something was gonna happen and then the he just did he got he got plenty of breaks but he didn't get the big break uh -huh. and one way to see that is a terrible tragedy and the other way to see it is, is as a massive gift yeah and I, I assume he would see it as a gift but the, i i think about that with my own career because my books have done well but they haven't done mark manson well you know what <laughs> I, like there's a that, like all my books have probably all my books cumulatively have not sold as many copies as he's probably sold in some language in some other you know what i mean like just because yeah. and and, and I, he's a great writer and he's a friend of mine but i'm just saying like things happen sure. Br things break different ways uh different bands come out at the same time one slightly before the other one slightly after and it's the difference between being the rolling stones and a pretty good classic rock band you know like there's there's so many things that happen and so i think the problem is if you're if you have the tiger woods mentality which is that it's not just like being good that's important but but dominating everyone else and being merciless in that domination and that uh to to let up for even one second is a betrayal of you know who you are as a person or to ha experience a setback is is a massive blow not only uh is is that really unfortunate if you never get that and most people don't because so much has to go right for you to, to achieve that you know he gets one different interview goes the right or wrong way or one college coach picks him over another his whole career could have been different you know tom brady gets drafted in the seventh round versus the sixth round and maybe we've never heard of him or drew bledsoe doesn't get hurt so the if if your if your happiness is dependent on that set up for uh you're set up for for disappointment but also again i don't even if you do get it the irony is it prevents you from enjoying it yeah it's it's a really tricky it's a really tricky and interesting thing and it's actually so there was a study done on 
Oscar winners and non-Oscar winners. Okay. Same class of same class of actors. Yeah. The people who won the Oscar and the people who didn't. And this research was done by this uh, sociologist, I suppose, named Kahneman. And <clears throat> he was talking about this, and he's talking about the remembering self versus the experiencing self. The experiencing self is what is who is experiencing now here in the yeah. present, like happiness and joy. And there's nothing about winning the Oscar or anything that actually probably maybe that one moment of experiencing self is good but yeah. for the remembering self the one that looks back at the personal history there was a a feeling of greater happiness for their whole life like their whole life had greater meaning yeah versus the people who didn't get it and that simple fact that their whole life had greater meaning because they won the oscar actually increased their longevity when you looked at it in the aggregate okay like they because happiness is a determining factor sure. for longevity right sure. so experientially they probably didn't actually have a happier life than anybody right. but the fact that they had won that one thing then allowed them to be like ah i did a good job with my life right. here you know and so i it's signaling all the epigenetic things to say i am a success i am a winner right. i have done this but probably they were just as miserable everybody was just as miserable along the whole way but i think the the antidote to that then is to be really at peace, stillness, equanimity, all of these things, which are synonyms, with just the process. Did I act the best I could? Yes. Regardless of whether the Academy nominates me or gives me the award. Did I play my best game, regardless of whether I'm holding the Lombardi trophy or not? Well, that's what the Stoics talk about. They go, it, Marcus really says, insanity is tying your happiness to what other people say or do. He says, sanity is tying it to your own actions. And so what he means is that Playing really well is up to you. Uh, playing time is not up to you. I, I talked to the Cleveland Browns this year. I said a sort of similar thing. I was like, how well you play is up to you. Whether you get playing time is not up to you. You know, like uh, the, the, the call the ref makes uh, is not up to you. How you respond to that mm. is up to you. You know, uh, how you play in a game is up to you. What people say about you on Twitter, not up to you. So it is like there's there's what's up to you and what's not up to you. And the problem is so often we do like what you're talking about with those actors is 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 we go, oh, the literally the Academy <laughs> said I'm good. Therefore, my life is good. That's so sad. Because, <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, think how, how long did it take for the Academy to recognize that black people were talented actors? How long did it take them to to, to fairly treat women or uh, gay actors or you know actors in independent film like, all of their own biases right contributing and, and to this. so if you're gonna if you're gonna let these if you're gonna hand over approval of your life to these fucking assholes you're gonna be sorely disappointed and and i have to remind myself of that constantly it's like look i control what goes inside the book i don't control whether the publisher accepts it or not right they do accept it okay i control uh, how much effort and time I'm going to spend on the marketing. I don't control sales. I don't control what the critics say. I don't control whether I make it on the bestseller list or not. You, you have to write all of that stuff off and focus on the part of it you control because that's how you sleep at night. That's how you deal not only with the successes which try to puff up your ego, but it's also how you ride through the failures which are going to totally knock you on your ass. And, and if you can't do that, you are going to be very, very unhappy because life is, you're, it's just 
not all going to break your way. Yeah. What's interesting too is the stories. I really liked how you had that first story. You opened with that JFK story where yeah. he sounds like just like the perfect hero, right? Yeah. It's the bay. It's like after the Bay of Pigs, it's the Cuban Missile Crisis. Everybody's like, we got to go. We got to be aggressive. We got to invade Cuba. Aggression, yeah. tit for tat. You know, if they're aggro, we got to get aggro. And it was, and he recognized like, if I follow that, we're all going to die. It's going to yeah. be ashes in, ashes in our mouth. Someone yeah. said that that was like, holy shit, that was yeah. a good line. Totally. But then, and then the, he- The fruits of victory will be ashes in our mouth. <laughs> I was like, damn, yeah. that's some poetic shit. Uh, so, but anyway, he finds that stillness. He yeah. finds the peace. For 13 to, days. For 13 days. He saves humanity because he has a level of stillness that the smartest military minds in the world do not have during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yep. So he's still for those 13 days in all of the meetings. He lets people talk it out. He has great peace. But meanwhile, later on in the book, you're like, and then he was driving a 19-year-old to a hotel room to yeah. have sex with her because he couldn't stop yeah. having sex with people. Yeah. No, I think it's important that that it's not that people are hypocrites. It's that people are complicated. Yeah. So, so here Kennedy is in the Cuban Missile Crisis doing everything right, except... You know, as far as he knew, the world could end at any time. <laughs> and the, the, this this could be the last night he goes home to his family, and he calls up Jacqueline and he says, "I'm going to be late." And he has <laughs> an assistant drive down a college girl from some uh, from some you know uh, New England school, and he has sex with her in a hotel room. He spends what is potentially <laughs> his last night on Earth, not with his scared children, but you know, having an affair and, and it's, it's, people are complicated. People and, are and, fucking complicated. And, and, but I think the point is, it's like, it's not to judge him, but to think about the way that we undermine our own stillness in, in that way all the time. You know, we, we go, oh, I don't care about X, like I, I blah, blah, blah. And then we're sneakily checking Twitter and, you know, mm -hmm. thriving on chaos or, or we all have little sort of secret vices that I think, disturb our stillness and my point is that stillness is not just this place you get to in your mind it has to be aligned with spiritually as well yeah and, and physically like you you also you could be still but if you're uh you know you're in horrible shape you never move you know uh your 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 house is a mess uh what we we just look for ways of accumulating disorder in our life and we have to we have to find a way to integrate all those things together or else in a way become in in a way just as kennedy is saying like the fruits of victory will be ashes in our mouth in a way that that that's what happens to his legacy because we don't see kennedy solely as this good guy anymore just like we don't see martin luther king solely as this good guy anymore we know what he was doing in hotel rooms with people who are, you know, not his wife and, and how inconsistent that was with what he was telling other people to do yeah. and, and what, what he knew was the right thing. And so it's, it's tough, but, but I think you got to integrate all of it as best you can. Yeah. I mean, it is, and it's interesting that people, you can find stillness, but not, it, it doesn't apply to every situation, you know, right. like even someone like someone who's, like I met someone who was at a talk I was at recently, and one his his thing is he puts up slack lines over canyons, yeah, and then he walks the slack line over the canyon, like, kind of like the classic yeah. tightrope thing, right? Sure. 
There is no doubt in my mind that he is still as fuck. Yeah. Perfect flow He'd state in the middle of the slack line where there's death on either side and the thing is wobbling right. and you're walking across the thing, right? Like same with any tightrope or any of these extreme kind of things, free soloing, like yeah. deep, deep stillness. But what probably drives that person to that desire for that flow state is probably this insatiable mind that's just like this hamster wheel where the fucking bolts are about to come off that thing if you don't find a way yeah to like get still or you could find someone who's you know sort of great in one element of their life and then you get stuck in traffic with them and it turns out they're a monster you know (laughs) or they're they're rude to a waiter who messes up their order so it's it's you you can't just isolate, you can't, I, I wanted to be sure that I'm not saying that you can just sort of isolate stillness in a bottle and it's this magical elixir that will make you better. Like uh, it's it's how do you disperse it through your life as a whole because that's where you you need it. Like yeah. I talk about Philip Roth in the book, uh, the writer, and he, he was talking about how he was like, he was basically gets divorced and he's talking about how nice it is being divorced. He's like, now like my work is my sole focus. He's like, it's like, uh, like, like, uh, he basically was saying like, it's like an emer- it's like I'm always the emergency. Mm. And that just struck me as very, very sad. So here you have this guy who's extremely successful. He's accomplished all this stuff and actually sounds like it sucks to be him. Do you know what I mean? And, and so you you can't just go like, oh, I'm going to use stillness to hit a ball better. I'm going to use stillness to make more money as a venture capitalist or or whatever. I, I think it's so sad how many writers were just monsters, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think for me, I look back and, you know, what's given me the stillness has been my psychedelic medicine journeys, right? Like, Aubrey the brave psychonaut not really no I was like more like I had to I had to find a way to quiet the mind and psilocybin and these other plant medicines were a way to do that to drop me into this deep stillness which is where you find that accord the unicity the oneness with all that a lot of the old philosophies and religions talk about where you can actually feel connected to everything well i had to use the plants to help get me there and that's been a part of it it's not just some desire for this it was also like a necessity yeah (laughs) and then you get to kind of keep a little bit of that with you in your in your life and and then it spins out of control and my anxiety will come back and i'll feel that thing in my chest which is like a little like a light bulb with static electricity all around it all swirling and i'll be like all right well this is coming from something and it's usually my you know, fear that if I don't accomplish this thing or this thing doesn't go wrong or this person doesn't love me, then everything's going to go to hell or maybe I'm going to get sick or whatever the thing is. And I just have to like go back. And and then my way is like back to the plants, like back to the plants. All right, what are the plants going to show me? And then I find my stillness again and then try to apply it universally. And then the chaos of my turbines like starts up again. And I like, sometimes it'll be meditation. Sometimes it'll be sweat lodge. Sometimes it'll be floating. But I have, I'm in this constant I'm constantly working. It's like draw, you know, draw water and chop wood. Yep. You know, the what before enlightenment, draw water, chop wood. After enlightenment, draw water, chop wood. No, it's funny. I was talking to Bird, uh, the agent that we both work mm-hmm. with, and he was like, you know, there's just something. He's like, Aubrey has this stillness about him. He didn't know <laughs> I was working on the book, and uh, this is this is a long time ago. But it's true, you do, and I bet it comes from all all sorts of different things. But I think it's misleading because people meet someone like that or they see someone like that 
and I think they think that they were just born that way, right. and they don't they don't see the work that goes into it. Um, they they don't understand that these are real people, and that that they they inched their way there through a lot of different tools and techniques, and that if they if they let go of their grasp on it, tomorrow it'd be like, you know, if we stopped, if, if humans disappeared from this planet, like nature would overrun this in like eight seconds, you know? That's to me sort of what stillness it is. It's this ephemeral thing that we're, we, we possess naturally, but also we're working towards, we're, we're sort of honing and, and cultivating. But if we stop that work, the, that is not our natural state. Right. You know what I mean? Right. No, even there may be some people have different advantages from their childhood or whatever, but like nobody that whose stillness you admire is simply naturally that way. Yeah. It seems it's definitely the case for me. I have, and I think the reason why a lot of people have that impression of me is I have the ability to summon presence, which yeah. is still presence yeah. is still because sure. it's really the worries about the future or the past that actually just disturb our equanimity at all times so if you're present you can typically be pretty still so yeah. people get that but then people who know me really well you know where i'm not present all day you know so they'll see me pacing around they'll see me like what's going on and the ones that are, it's really interesting the ones who really know me and they'll usually let most of it slide because yeah. they just let me do my strange like behaviors but sometimes yeah. i'm like hey what's up and I'll catch myself like pacing around in a circle or like doing yeah. some weird compulsive behavior, you know, or like not breathing, like holding, holding my breath and then breathing like, Hey, what's going on? I'm like, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Like, let me get back to, yeah. let me get back to finding a little semblance of peace here. Yeah. And look, I think that's, that's an important part of it too. It's like, it's sort of, who do you surround yourself with? How do they make you better? How do you have people who hold you accountable? Um, even you know Buddha and Zeno, sort of the Eastern Western sort of sort of lead philosophers in, in in this area, both had like mentors. They both had like spiritual teachers on the journey that they went on. So again, the idea that it's like, oh, I picked up this book and now I magically have it, or like uh, this is just my natural disposition. It's like no, it's like a lot of work. Yeah. What was interesting, so I. Talk, I was talking about plant medicine. I recently had a plant medicine experience. I don't do them as frequently as I used to anymore. Um, but I had one recently, and it was out. And there's this nice little park downtown in uh, in Austin. And I was, as I was on the plant medicine, I was looking at the I was looking at the trees in this park. I was like, oh man, these trees look great. Like yeah. I got to go down there at some point and check out these trees. So eventually, towards the tail end, I go down there to the park and check out the trees, and. I could. I went up and put my hands on the tree, and I don't usually do this. It's very kind of woo-woo cliche, like go hug a tree, bro. Yeah. But anyways, I almost, I pretty much yeah. did. So like, I put my hands on the tree, and, and you get these kind of extra sensory perceptions, whether they're imagination or whether they're real, whatever. But I could feel the tree's living energy, wow. and it felt so like one note, like like an ohm, like yeah. ohm, steady. It was like steady. And then I was like reflecting at the contrast of my own energy, which was like, like just fluttering and capricious and ever changing, like, like lights going off and on sure. and swirling. And I was like, can I get a little more like the tree here? You know, yeah, like, can I like sure. still it a little more? And I could a little bit, but nonetheless, 
my nature is yeah sure and the tree's nature is and you don't want to be a tree i don't want to be i can't be a tree right but not only you you can't be a tree but like uh i'm not sure you would want to be a tree you know what i mean like there is a, a beauty and a specialness to whatever the sort of freakness that humans are and then whatever mm-hmm. sort of individual freaks we happen to be inside that population. But yeah, like like I, uh, I, I don't think I tell the story in the book, but I do it in some of my talks. I have like, I go out and I see my donkeys and they're just like standing, they're just doing anything. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, oh, that's their thing. They don't do anything. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. their job is just to like not die. That's yeah. their main job. Like that's what a successful day is for them is like that they didn't die, you know? Yeah. And like, am, are you and I really that different? Do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. nothing you have to do. Like you don't even have to eat or drink in the course of a day. You have to do it over a certain period of time. Yeah. But like there's, there's almost nothing, like I, I try to catch myself, um, especially like as I'm going into the book launch, I'll, I'll have this like, super busy schedule and normally my life is not scheduled i do what i want and so i'll you know it'll be like i wake up from this time to this time and i have to do all this stuff and it's like i don't actually have to do any of it i signed up for it i could quit any of it if i wanted and the consequences would be like first world of first world but then also what i what tends to stress me out in these stressful situations is not that I have seven interviews over the next seven hours. It's that I'm telling myself, I also have to do a normal day's work on right. top of that. Right. And nobody nobody put a gun to my head and said, Ryan, if you don't do this, you know? And so I have to go like, I don't have to do, I can just do this. I can just go where people tell me today. That can, you know, or, or I go like, look, I, my job today is to fly from Austin to Chicago, that's my, if, as long as I make it there, that's like I what I it. needed to do today. I don't have to do anything on the plane. You know, I don't have to get there on time. All of this is a construct in my head. And and if, if that, there's no problem that it's a construct. The problem is that the construct is making me unhappy. Right. And so you can just change the construct. Yeah. I, for you, it seems like, you know, knowing you, it seems like probably some of the areas where you get stillness, and that's in the afterword of your book, too, is part of it is this, you know, wild farm that you've, <laughs> you've created that I got a chance to visit, and there was a an injured bird and that we took in, and there was a snake that might have been trying to eat the injured bird. And it was this crazy wild, there's this beautiful place with donkeys yeah. and, you know, longhorns that break through, and it's like, that's got to give you that sense of peace and communion with nature yeah yeah i mean this morning i took my son for a like we spent an hour on a dirt road just like digging around you know Mm -hmm. and it it, it's somewhat artificial you know it's somewhat uh detached from reality on purpose um but it's also i i think you you have to build a life around how you want life to be. And I think this goes to what we were talking about at the beginning. All these people, they're like, well, I'm gonna build a company, then I'm gonna sell the company, and then when I have lots of money, I'm going to wake up and do what I want. Uh, like I was talking to a friend of mine who is an author who was gonna stop being an author to become a venture capitalist, so then he could 
uh, when he made all the money from venture capital, he would then basically Become be an author. An author. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was like the law. He didn't quite, it wasn't so obvious that he was like an idiot, but like <laughs> that was the twisty thing. And it was like, you know, you could just, there's other ways to get there. You yeah. know what I mean? And one of the ways to get there might be realizing that you're already fucking there. Yeah. And um, I, I think, that, and that's sort of why I just, meditation is not going to fix that contradiction that that's going to require some sort of conscious thought and building and changing and then it then maybe you'll have room for more meditation mm -hmm. there's another thing that you do that i know you do and that's you go for long swims yeah and like there's something about swimming that is like deeply peaceful i think it's the yes it is the most meditative and profound of all the different exercises i think it's i mean first off it's very womb-like right. in that you're like sort of totally underwater um it's it's uh s somewhat sensory depriving mm -hmm. um there's no screens you can't, you're not really looking around you're looking down yeah um it's usually like i mean there's ugly pools but I, what's incredible about austin is like just how many that you can swim in something like Barton Springs. That that like billionaires don't have pools as nice as Barton <laughs> Springs, and it costs five dollars. Do you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. the the ocean is free. You know, like that. I just I think it, it, if someone was like, uh, my life's too stressed. I'm, I'm I, whatever. I'd go like, well, what do you do for exercise? And if they're like, well, I do CrossFit, I'd be like, try going for a swim because it may give you the same sort of health benefits, maybe even better but uh, it will profoundly change your sort of philosophical, spiritual outlook too. And then I think it ties into something you've talked a lot about, which is just like cold showers. Like the, the strength of like, I don't want to get in this water, but to get the thing I want, I have to. And I, the, the cold plunge element of, of it is important too, I think. Yeah, both of those things are amazing tools to get to stillness. It's yeah. like some of my favorite. I swim laps in my pool. And and I do the cold plunges. How long is your pool? Because I think our pools are the same length. Yeah, I'm, it's not that long. I have to, like nine yards, <laughs> yeah, ten yards. Yeah. It's like it's like four four or five good strokes. Yes, yeah, yeah the same not, thing. But it's still, nonetheless, like getting in there, even yeah. just you know, the turns are a little bit annoying. But you know, getting in there, it's it is the most peaceful thing. And the thing about the problem with the gym is the gym. Anytime you work out in the gym, you have the opportunity to engage in something that could put you in that same state, that yeah. same kind of flow state. But the problem is you always have your phone kind of on hand mm -hmm. and you always have music and then you have people who you're talking to. So if I go through a workout and I'm like checking my Instagram and I'm responding to texts, even though my body might receive, you know, the benefit from breaking down the muscles and yeah. building them back up, I didn't actually get a break from my from my mental chatter of the day. You were only 70% present or, or whatever, right. which is great. It's better than you would have been sitting at your computer sure. or in a staff meeting, but it's not, swimming is is totally immersive uh, and literally like you have to be. And I, I, I think it's it's very special for that reason. And look, there there's clearly something special about water period or it wouldn't show up philosophically the way that it does. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like it, it wouldn't be such a feature of, of of beauty and gardens and architecture if there wasn't some quality to water as well so the idea that you can do your exercise inside that is like an extra <laughs> extra element yeah and then all right so then the cold plunging 
So my favorite part of the cold plunging is if I can get somebody in there because you have to always be mindful of shallow water blackout. I mean, yeah. I, I blacked out while driving a car and crashed into a guardrail, so I don't think of myself as invincible. Yeah. So I always have somebody there and I hold my hand up and I kind of wiggle my fingers a little bit out of the water, let people know I'm yeah. fine. But the full submersion, the full submersion of my head causes the mammalian dive reflex and it really starts to change my nervous system Interesting. so when i get my eyes underneath the water and then i'll hold my breath for 30 40 sometimes i've gone over a minute depending on how much breathing i do ahead of time and the water's like you know 40 degrees something like that i can like just everything just collapses into even more still even more still you start to hear your heartbeat yeah and your heartbeat goes from normal whatever 58 60 beats per minute to down to like lower 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 because your body's conserving yeah. you know conserving energy and everything's kind of getting quieter and it's like some of the quietest deepest moments that i can find without having to go you know 30 minutes deep into a meditation which may or may not get me there depending yeah. on what's going on in my mind that day i might find that stillness and it's beautiful when i can in meditation but reliably when I have somebody to watch me to make sure I don't black out and I go and I do the submersion in the cold water, I'm going to get there every time. you know. And underneath that water, I'm going to find it. And yeah. that's going to reset my whole fucking day. Yeah. Just, just finding it and touching it for that one moment, like it just changes everything, changes the whole landscape. For me, I, I tend to write in the mornings and then I sort of do work in the, you know, through lunch, early afternoon. And then I, I try to swim sometime like sort of before dinner and the amount of ideas i don't want to 10 percent of the ideas in that book just magically come into my head while i'm swimming because mm -hmm. i've uh, i've taken myself out of whatever the environment that i hit diminishing returns in was and now i'm fully present in another activity and now my subconscious, instead of being like, check Twitter, check Twitter, you know, like, see what's going on on Instagram. Did you get any new emails? Instead of my subconscious working against me, my subconscious is like, hey, what if you did that sentence this way? You know, or like, mm -hmm. you know, it'd be a really cool story to tell. Or like, maybe the title for your next book should be, you know, whatever. Like, I, I just find that when I become totally preoccupied with an activity that has no real expected outcome yeah that's where magically the stuff happens and it's it uh, the, the sort of unintended benefit of all that is just like the humility of like oh when i'm trying really hard i i can do like okay and then when i'm trying not to do it that's when the breakthroughs happen mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's the power of that letting go it's totally. the power of that surrender and people think of surrender as weakness and this like letting go as giving up yeah it's really not it's really the opposite like most of the good shit that happens happens in those moments where we just give ourselves a little space well i just wrote about this for for daily stoic we do this like daily email and today's email was about the odyssey and when you read the odyssey and this is how we're taught about it as kids and this is the western way it's the struggle of the 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 survivor the man who's fighting to come home and it's obstacle after obstacle and he, he's so amazing and that's one read the other read you step back and you go wait a hundred percent of the problems in the odyssey are odysseus's fault and it's only <laughs> it's it's only when he gives up 
and he turns his fate over to the gods who have been watching and interacting with him this whole time, and he listens to their plan, does he almost immediately get home? You know, wow. and, and so I think the actual message of the Odyssey is about surrender and about the way that our sort of willful will, to use the, uh, the, the expression from the Zen and the Art of Archery, is what's actually getting in the way all the time. It's we think, I know how to do this. I'm going to do it my way. I've got this. That's when we're getting, that's when we're preventing ourselves from getting where we actually want to go, whether and, we know it or not. And whatever your spiritual belief is, and you do a good job of that in the book, like, there's a you can surrender to the greater mind yeah. to your higher self yeah. to the to the universes you know the collective whatever you want if you yeah. don't want to use the the g word and say yeah. god or you don't and yeah. like that's scary to you, that's fine but yeah. like that surrender to your knowing to your to your to the greater mind whatever you're comfortable with but that letting go of your ego's frantic desire to be the one who's in control just like a kid driving one of those fake little steering wheels you know like but meanwhile like the greater mind's like oh that's cute you know we're gonna go this way no that's beautiful that so the stoic the stoic metaphor is that we are dogs tied to a cart and the cart is gonna go where it's gonna go and we can either trot happily alongside <laughs> or we can lay down and be dragged. But the modern one is totally it. Yeah, we think we're we think we're steering or we think we're pressing the closed door button in the elevator, <laughs> but the button's this, not even connected the, to anything. I really think that's true, it's actually. Gotta be. It doesn't seem like it ever does anything <laughs> ever. I've never seen the closed door button. But people will press it like five times. I'm starting to think none of the buttons work. I was in <laughs> I was in a elevator with my son and he pressed like the alarm button and it just went off and nothing happened. No fireman came. I don't think any of these buttons work. I think we're just we're just getting these death traps and then <laughs> people just need to know that there's a button that they can press to do something. I have to do something. Totally. No, yeah. we think we think we're driving and we don't even understand like where we're going what car we're in like we're just we know yeah. nothing yeah yeah we can just drag ourselves off course a little bit yeah. you know with great effort you know and maybe tip the cart every once in a while and have to go back and pick it up but if we just let it go we're on the tracks like well, on and the, tracks. And the, the real free will is in deciding whether you're going to be happy or miserable right do you know what i mean which is a it, not a tiny choice that is the that is the only choice that matters anyway the choice is like that's what i think that's what they're saying the choice is like are you going to be a happy dog or an unhappy dog right you know it's your call and that's actually gonna be it's it is the most important choice it's tied to sure. your longevity it's tied to your enjoyment of your life it's tied to every single aspect of that and you know that's the choice we have to make i think that the thing that final thing that winston churchill said before he died was like ah this was an what was it was the thing oh he said uh it was a journey worth making once <laughs> this was a journey worth making once <laughs> no i think that's right i like so i have this memento mori ring that i wear now um and i think the idea is that like look it'd be wonderful to live for a long time it'd be wonderful to live forever but you have no idea how long you're going to be here. You have no idea how it's going to go. Uh, right now, it seems like it'd be wonderful to live forever. But what if I told you you're going to live forever, but it's going to suck? You know, like you don't know. And so there's, yeah. I think, a certain amount of humility too, and just like, just chill out, man. Like just take it, you know. And mm -hmm. I like um, acceptance. And and when you, I, I sort of end the book with some stories of like 
the sort of, of Buddha and Antoninus Pius and, and Marcus Aurelius and, and Epicurus. Like, and there's actually a great book that I recommend called, I think it's the Book of Dead Philosophers. And it's just, uh, it's just short stories about how all the famous philosophers from history died. Because it's kind of the ultimate test of yeah. the of the principles, um, you know. Do you die miserably? Do you die happy? Um, do you do you die in fear? Do you die with gratitude or regret or regret? Yeah. And uh, and oh, that that's we don't control when that's Seneca says it's it's in nobody's power uh, to to live forever, but it it is in your power to live well. You know? Yeah, that's my one of my favorite sayings is that Lakota saying, which has been shortened to Hoka Hey, which is today is a good day to die. Mm -hmm. Like waking up every day and being able to say that today is a good day to die. That means that you've lived the very best you could up to that point. If you're going to actually believe that, and it's not just words that are yeah. spilling out of your mouth unconsciously, like if you're like, ah, today, yep. with the sun shining where it is, with the rustle of the you know wind in the leaves and and everything that's happening today is a good day to die well and and i think if you can get there what it essentially does is it turns it turns tomorrow when hopefully you also wake up into sort of like uh borrowed time like house money like mm -hmm. it's all extra how great it is i get another day because yesterday was a good day to die the day before was a good day to die, and i have another day and today's another good day and then every day forward is another good day totally and i think that squares the circle with that question you and i i think both struggle with as people and and philosophers have struggled with forever which is like if like people we think like oh if i'm content if i'm happy won't i stop accomplishing things and it's like no it's actually the opposite because if you're like today's a good day to die you're gonna you're not gonna hold anything back mm -hmm. do you know what i mean you're yeah. you're not you're and in a way that might be what these people who are addicted to winning are actually doing they're not living because they need to win another championship next year or they need two more points or they need two million more dollars and so if you can if, if what if you can actually be present what it allows you to do is be successful but enjoy it now and then treat all of it as extra and bonus and all of that. Yeah, and it is possible. I mean, I was best friends with Bodie Miller and I watched him live that way. I watched him, like when, when I would talk to him about why he doesn't sacrifice every bit of his life for greater performance on the slopes, he's like, I'm here to live. I'm not here just to ski. Yeah, like, I like I'm a skiing. machine. Yeah, like I wanna live my life. I can't, I'm having so much more fun than every other skier yeah. out here in the entire sport, I promise you. And he for sure was, because I hung out with the other skiers. Bodhi had the most fun. And he also was the winningest, in one of the winningest racers in US history, right? Like he was able to combine both, but it was his commitment to enjoying his life. And then also when he was training, he was radically present to that yeah, and right. willing to go to the very fucking brink right. of, of like everything that he could to train when it was time to train and when it was time to enjoy himself, he would go to the brink of that too. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, so it was a great model for me of like how to combine both radical success with a beautifully well-lived life. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, shit, man, you did it. All right. You wrote another dope book and it's <laughs> uh stillness is the key it's coming out when is it coming out october 1 october 1 
all the things amazon's everywhere local yeah. bookstores local bookstores are dope if you really want to they support are. an author like if you're a ryan holiday fan you're like man i fucking dig this dude i want to support him go to the smallest little bookstore you can yeah. and go buy this book totally that's the best way but other than that you can just get it on amazon or audible or whatever you want to do yep cool man thanks, thanks for stopping man. by appreciate it yeah peace Thanks for tuning into the show with Ryan. Hopefully you guys have an idea of how comprehensive this subject of stillness is at this point. And so go get the book. It's sold everywhere. And Audible, Amazon, your local bookstore. Like I said, local bookstore is the way to go if you really want to support the author. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. And as always, please share this with everybody you can and try to find a moment today to be still. Have some gratitude maybe. And think about things that we talked about. I love you. I'll see you next week.